0: being a little philosophical here or kind of widening out uh, to a broader perspective than just sports or activities i really encourage people that ask me or i talk to or you know my own kids uh to think big with their life and try to find your own path your own journey
1: this is a life in motion
0: audio experience a podcast about travel action sports culture and more
1: What's up and welcome to episode 96 of Life in Motion. I've got Eric Hurst with me, who is a researcher, author, coach, and founder of Fizz Advantage. More importantly than all that, though, he's a rock climber who's passionate about helping other climbers reach their goals. I'm excited to learn how he's doing that and what it takes for them to reach new heights. Eric, thanks for being on the show today.
0: Oh, I'm happy to join you, Jeremy.
1: Yes, yes. I'm I'm really excited to kind of get on into uh, all those things I just mentioned. But before we do that let's um let's kind of take a step back and sort of the the origin story i guess of of eric you know (laughs) where did you where did you grow up you know what kind of hobbies did you have growing up sort of what was the path that kind of led you to where you are today
0: yeah well it's a long story because i'm in my uh, late 50s and i've been uh, an outdoor athlete since um i was you know 10 or 12 uh and uh it was through boy scouts i'm an eagle scout Uh, back in the 70s uh When I was growing up, scouting was a pretty big thing, and it was kind of one of the few ways that a kid could really be engaged outdoors, you know, with camping and climbing and things like that, because those sports hadn't really developed and become popular the way they are today. So yeah, uh, Boy Scouts, my brother and I, through that, was kind of our entry into, you know, hiking and camping and climbing, and I started rock climbing uh, when I was 13 years old, and back then, uh, you know, climbing was a tiny sport, mostly um, performed by physicists and mathematicians and just kind of eccentric people. It was not what climbing is today, which is a mainstream Olympic sport. Yeah. And so in my 45 years as a clim- as a climber, I've seen the sport really, really change. And uh, so I was, you know, I played baseball and uh, skied and you know did a variety of sports of kids, but climbing was the thing that really caught my attention and. Really, just captured my imagination and uh, desire for physical and mental challenge and adventure, and uh, and I, I improved at it very quickly. Uh, you know, I was by age seventeen or eighteen, you know, one of the top, you know, um, teenage climbers in the country. Uh, and you know, I was mostly climbing with adult men, you know, guys twice my age, because again, there weren't many youth climbers back then and uh, i got into training for climbing which was a topic that didn't exist really back then except for like one or two climbers that i uh, knew of or ran into and so it was uh you know a a subject that uh over the decades as i've been a climber you know i've uh, been always kind of keen on how to develop science-based methods of training you know rather than just making it up as we did in the early days how to be a little more Um, scientific about it and collect data with it and along the way I've written a bunch of books Uh, training for climbing as an international bestseller it's been translated to a half a dozen different languages and the English edition is available in 40 countries around the world and so uh, through that I've had kind of a global impact on climbers which is really cool you know this this uh, passion of climbing transcends nationality and background and Uh, you know, uh, you know, a climber that you would meet in Europe or Asia or South America or Africa is just like, you know, me or has the same goals and passion for climbing as I do. And so that's a really neat thing. uh, And it's one of the things that's just kept me really interested in to this day, trying to be engaged in the climate community and have an impact uh, on a global level. So, you know, it's been a long journey. And uh, I guess kind of the overriding thing I have always tried to share with people is even if climbing's not your thing, find a way to be active outdoors. Uh, and especially in this electronic era, um, find time to disengage from the electronics and engage, you know, your mind and body in some form of outdoor activity. I think it's good, not only for mind and body, but also for heart and soul.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's a good point that you had too, as, as far as are kind of probably as interesting, kind of see that kind of the progress, if you'll call it, um, as, you know, climbing and, and other outdoor sports really and activities kind of starting to have like a mainstream kind of feel to them rather than they, you know, or, you know, 10, 15, 20, you know, whatever number of years ago. Um, so, I, So I do have a question. So, you know, obviously you kind of started off um, young, as you said, it, it wasn't necessarily the most uh, popular thing, like I said, from a mainstream perspective at that point. But, but you did mention that you were one of the top climbers uh, in, in the country at that time. So for, for people that don't know, especially at that time when it wasn't as mainstream or whatnot, I, I guess, what, I guess what, what put you in, in that position, if that makes sense?
0: well you know there's different types of climbing uh there's you know traditional climbing which is you know kind of the old school where you're climbing up uh, cracks and you know cliffs and big walls and uh you know the gear can be kind of sparse at times and it can be quite dangerous and uh, in my early years i did quite a bit of that because that was the main form of climbing in the late 70s into the mid 80s and then climbing kind of uh evolved in, uh, and ha- developed another discipline called sport climbing where there's actually uh permanent bolts that are drilled into the rock. Uh, It really first became popular in Europe, but it's now kind of the most popular form of climbing uh, in the United States, at least roped climbing. There's also bouldering, which is, you know, climbing small boulders without a rope, which is very popular. Uh, But the sport climbing was something that uh, I uh, adopted, you know, right away. Uh, I think it was in 1985 and 1986, we began bolting, routes here in Pennsylvania. There was a quarry in central Pennsylvania, a limestone quarry uh, where, near where I went to college at Penn State that me and a couple of buddies you know, started bolting routes that were some of the hardest sport climbs in the eastern United States, perhaps the country, uh, in, in 1985, 1986. Uh, and so we were kind of in our own little world doing that. And then in the following years, I started to uh, uh, put up first ascents uh, bolting routes at the New River Gorge in West Virginia. I put up the first route of grade 513 there in 1987. So that was kind of a a big achievement for me back then. You know, in today's context, 513 is not super hard anymore. Um, But uh, back then it was, you know, the hardest climb in West Virginia. And so, uh, you know, I was um, quite passionate uh, about pushing my limits, you know, when I was in my you know, 20-something years. Uh, and, you know, today I still climb at a high level for being in my 50s. Uh, the sport, of course, has progressed. The hardest climbs are now in the 515 grade rather than the 513 or 514 grade uh, as they were in past decades. And so uh, the sport's progressed and kind of left me behind, you might say. But uh, But for me to still be doing it at age 58 and at a pretty high level, I think is pretty rad, you know, because yeah. a lot of guys... A lot of guys am might, you know, I look at the people I went to high school or college with uh, that are my age, and you know, a lot of them spend their Sundays, you know, drinking beer and watching football or golf, uh, or maybe playing golf, but not many of them are dangling on the side of a cliff, you know, <laughs> taking whippers and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, doing, you know, something quite, you know, um, extreme, at least physically extreme, you know, pushing their old body through that. And that's something that I'm uh still still doing and i i foresee myself doing for many more years to come so
1: yeah that that's awesome to kind of continue that passion and and then to your point point, kind of being at the the forefront at sort of at some of those uh i I guess trends if you'll call them that kind of in the rock climbing community uh and it's interesting that you know you went to um to to penn state so (laughs) you you might be familiar with camp woodward out there it's like 45 minutes i think east so you know i'm not, I'm not going to claim myself as a rock climber but i did run the rock climbing wall and the ropes course there for a couple summers um yeah no so. actually
0: i know i know those i know that family the isabels and a couple of the daughter uh, i you know my wife and i used to climb with her you know 25 years ago and so i'm very familiar with that whole woodward scene those guys have been in the cutting edge of some of the not only gymnastics but also the you know the biking uh phenomenon you know the x games type type of stuff as i'm sure you know
1: yeah yeah i know it's uh, it, and that was funny as you mentioned that it, it, it's uh, it's always interesting to kind of find those common connections uh yeah. you know with the different guests on here so that's awesome yeah, um yeah. so you, you know obviously there's kind of the um you know like you said you know working with different routes and and uh putting uh route stuff on, on boulders and everything like that. and called uh, kind of the, the aspects of the sports in that sense. But one of the things that you mentioned um, earlier was you really kind of got into the, the scientific part of it and the research part of that. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, obviously you, you have a, a deep love for, for the sport regardless. So obviously I'm sure there's some curiosity there, but it, I guess once you started diving deeper into that, was that in your college years, like what, what inspired you to do that and then, I guess, what was the process of like, what were the things you were looking at and as you were doing your research?
0: Yeah. Well, when I, when I got into climbing as a uh, 13 year old, uh, you know, right away, I realized I, you know, I couldn't go climbing every day. I live in Pennsylvania where there aren't that many cliffs and there were no climbing gyms in 1977. So, you know, being an energetic youth, it's like, okay, well, what can I do physically that's going to help me with climbing? Well, the first thing I did is I went into the basement of my parents' home and I took little blocks of wood and screwed them onto the rafters on the ceiling. So I can (laughs) climb around upside down, like on the roof, you know, using my hands and feet uh, and, you know, do that type of training that was good for the finger strength and the core training. And it just seemed logical, uh, you know, a way to kind of build a climbing wall. Even, you know, because again, climbing gyms hadn't been invented yet. Um, And then, you know, also looked at what a few other climbers might be doing. Um, And there was a, a, you know, the legendary boulderer, John Gill, who uh, in the 60s, 1960s was putting up the hardest, you know, climbing moves in the world uh, on these boulders out west. Uh, There there was a book published on him that kind of, uh, you know, documented some gymnastics exercises that he did. To develop upper body strength for climbing. And so right away when I got that book and read it, the next day I went and basically joined the high school gymnastics team. And I had no background in gym- gymnastics. I just walked into the coach's, you know, office and said, "I'm joining the gymnastics team and I only want to do the rings." And there's, you know, four different men's events. Uh but I'm like I'm going to specialize in the rings. And uh, and so I did gymnastics for 3 years in high school and I ran some cross country Uh, And those two things helped me develop a lean body with a lot of endurance, but also a lot of power. Uh, And so, you know, that was kind of my first shot at trying to do some things to, you might say, cross-training to uh, aid climbing. And then, you know, through my college years, I started reading exercise physiology books and learning about training protocols to develop strength and power. And so I would develop protocols for doing pull-ups and one-arm pull-ups and, you know again there was no formal climbing research in the 1980s but that changed um in the late 90s and into the 2000s there was a few researchers one uh dr phil watts um from northern michigan university uh did a couple of climbing related physiology studies and so right away and when i saw those papers i engaged him and we formed a friendship that has lasted to this day Uh, And uh, he kind of helped me get engaged with the growing international climbing research community, which today is quite extensive, you know, throughout Europe and North America, especially, uh, but also somewhat in Japan and Australia, uh, there are, um, you know, researchers doing climbing studies, many of them are injury related, some of them are, you know, you know, a training related. Some of them are cognitive in nature. Uh, and so I've become engaged in that community. I have one uh, paper that I co-published. Uh, I have, you know, spoken to a number of international conferences over the last uh, decade, uh, you know, giving presentations on kind of my own areas of interest, which in recent years has been training um, the connective tissues, ligaments and tendons that are highly stressed in climbing. How do we make them stronger and try to reduce injury risk. And so uh, I've, you know, uh, been very, you know, focused on that area the last, you know, five to 10 years and contributed, you know, some knowledge and, uh, you know, to the, to this growing field. And so it's exciting. And, um, you know, again, with the sport being now in the Olympics, it it rightfully is getting uh, the attention that it didn't get 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, from uh, researchers. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's quite exciting to see. And, uh, you know, it's moving very fast, Uh, you know, back in the same 90s, you know, the climbing research and the training technology, and when the climbing gyms were born, uh, they were very crude at first, and then they gradually decade over decade, got nicer and more professional and were better for climbing and training indoors. Uh, And, you know, today, it's, it's amazing, you know. You can be in a city like that is nowhere near the mountains, like Houston, Texas, or you know Miami, Florida, and there's <laughs> a, a big climbing gym in those cities. And so it brings kind of the mountains to the people, uh, and allows you know the city folk uh, to try their hand at something different. And you know maybe they don't become a climber for life, but at least uh, it's. Um, you know, something they can try a few times and perhaps will be uh, a door through which they will become an athlete in some other way or, you know, engage nature in other ways. And uh, I think, you know, I've seen, you know, looking back on all of my years, the life changing potential that climbing holds. I've seen it not only change my life and make it so much richer and better, but how climbing has positively impacted the lives of so many other people. Some people discovered in their teenage years, other people discovered in their forties or fifties, and it can be impactful. And so I think that's a beautiful thing. And I want to see, you know, as many people kind of have a chance at, you know, feeling that um, difference that climbing can make in your life and how it can really open your mind to the potential we each have inside of us. Uh, You just got to get off those damn electronic devices (laughs) that just kind of suck your soul out of you uh, and your your life and your energy. uh, You know, those electronic devices are good at giving you that dopamine hit, you know, like a drug does. uh, But uh, of course, it snowballs and it can, you know, take over your brain. And, uh, you know, I'd rather see you get that dopamine hit from going for a run or lifting some weights or going for a rock climb. Uh, it's a much more healthy way to to get that that hit of uh, endorphins and uh, you know and I think it can then spread to other parts of your life in a very positive way and so that's a message i am fond of preaching these days
1: yeah yeah No, that makes sense it, it definitely can be a, a, an addiction that that none of us really think about as far as we, you mentioned like the electronics and that kind of stuff and Definitely way better to replace that with something uh, outdoors, what no matter whatever the activity is as well.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, and there's uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with electronics. I mean I use electronics every single day, you know, to communicate with my family and my to do business and to you know tap into media, you know like like this podcast. but it's about it's about the human being controlling the media. Uh, and the electronics rather than the electronics controlling you. And so for the person that rolls out of bed and looks at their phone and then looks at it every five minutes all day long, and it's the last thing they look at before they go to sleep at night, the electronics have owned them, have owned their brain. uh, And, you know, rather than the person owning the, the electronics. And, you know, so I, you know, again, my practice, you know, I try to there's times throughout the day I put the phone on the charger in my in the kitchen of my house, and I um, am separated from it, uh, and I can do, you know, kind of some deep thinking and deep work for a few hours and have no interruptions from electronics. And, uh, you know, as opposed to having the phone in your pocket during your waking hours, uh, dinging away at you with all those notifications, that's horrible for comp. Uh, concentration and it's horrible for achievement in anything Uh, if you want to people want to achieve greatly in any field they have to put the damn electronics away at times throughout the day so they can do some of that deep work that is meaningful um and that can create forward momentum in whatever their um activity or passion or business or sport is
1: yeah well to that point one of my favorite uh one of my favorite features on the phone is the do not disturb uh button on there where it blanks out all the, the notifications that come through. And, you yeah. know, you, you can set up your favorites. If your wife needs to call, you will go through and won't, won't uh, shut her off. But, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's a start. That's a start yeah. Although studies that just having the phone in the same room as the person is in affects them because it's like there's like this small distance between you and the phone. You know that it's there and like oh, maybe I should check my Instagram feed and see if somebody's left any new comments. You know, so you need to physically get the phone out of the room, you know, uh, that you're in uh, and, you know, increase that distance and make it make it, um, you know, more friction to get to the phone, uh, you know, and I think, you know, but putting it in silent mode is a step in the right direction.
1: (laughs) There we go. Out of of sight, out of sight, out of mind is a little bit better, though. There you go. (laughs) But so. To that step in, uh, once again, back to the research, I'm I'm curious, and I'm sure there's a a big explanation. So maybe there's a simple way to say it or not, but so one of the things that you mentioned, you know, that you were learning and and studying was, you know, the different, um, the different effects, I guess, that climbing has on, you know, different parts in your body and strains and how to make those probably very small pieces or muscles or whatever on your body kind of stronger for that activity how how do you how do you like i guess monitor that to like figure out like what um like how to make those changes if that makes sense like what what are you looking at when when you were yeah. researching that stuff
0: right well i mean that's a big challenge with um these repetitive sports you could you know running let's say you know someone that gets into running or someone who gets into climbing where your fingers are you know, gripping the the climbing holds or the climbing wall or the fingerboard that you're training on over and over and over and over. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's this, um, uh, you know, there's a definite, um, you know, quite a high frequency of overuse injuries in sports like that. You know, the person who gets into running, buys a new pair of running shoes, and they're like, I'm going to start running every day. That's my new year's resolution. Um, So they go from running zero days a week to running five, six, seven days a week. Uh, And that's great, except after three weeks, they have shin splints, or they develop plantar fasciitis, uh, or, you know, some other connective tissue injury. Because, you know, the muscle soreness you know, you feel it the day after, and maybe you take a day off, or you know, you um, go easy the next day, and the muscle soreness goes away. But the connective tissues don't have quite the pain receptors that muscles have. They don't have the blood flow that the mus- muscles have, and, and so they respond and they also reveal um, pain and you know, developing problems uh, more slowly. And so you don't really kind of know that you have, like in climbers, it's commonly the finger tendons and ligaments. That get overused and stressed, and uh, they break down, and they're very slow to rebuild and strengthen, uh, and you end up with a, a tweak or a pain or, or or an outright pulley rupture or tendonosis in your elbow. Let's say, uh, you know, there's a variety of overuse injuries that we commonly see with people who go climbing too much, whether it's at a climbing gym or outdoors. You know, if you do it seven days a week, there's just not enough recovery time for those connective tissues, and then you know, diet has a, an influence on recovery as well. And so if you don't eat a very good diet, if you have a diet that doesn't have very much protein in it, that not only slows muscle recovery, but it slows connective tissue remodeling. And, you know, so it's about getting the um, the training load at an appropriate level for your experience uh, and for your ability. And as you have more years of climbing under your belt and you become better at climbing and you become, you know, and your connective tissues and muscles get stronger, then you can subject them to greater loads and higher frequency of climbing and do more powerful movements. Uh, just like a runner with many years of running experience who have gradually strengthened all the, you know, tendons and ligaments in their legs uh, can build up their mileage. Uh, and, you know, someone who's been running for a decade might run 100 mile weeks, uh, you know, or run at ridiculously high speeds for a race um, and not get injured because over the years their body has slowly adapted. And so that's something that um, it it helps to have um, a knowledgeable coach or trainer. Uh, Many climbing gyms have someone like that that you can consult and uh, uh, help put you on a program. Uh, Or there are some online training companies that, you know, It's while it's better to work with a coach in person, if it's a knowledgeable coach that can work with you online and do some type of an assessment to make an appropriate training program and then gradually introduce some progressive elements to the program that ramps it up over many months and and eventually years, you know, you can get stronger and hopefully avoid injury. Uh, And, you know, climbing is hard on the body and, you know, if you climb long enough, you're probably gonna experience one of these tweaks. Just like if you run enough years or do any sport enough years, even something like golf, if you do it enough years, you can develop a lower back injury or even golfer's elbow. And, you know, there's, you know, most sports, um, there can be uh, injury that occurs for various reasons, you know, poor technique or poor diet or not enough recovery or just doing too much too soon. And, and so, you know, uh, being on a well-designed training program and also trying to modify your diet, you know, so that you can, you know, support the training uh, and have the energy levels to, to climb your best or train your best. Uh, and also recovery is important. So obviously having enough protein and the right nutrients in your diet, you know, vitamins and minerals uh, all play a role. And so, you know, again, For the beginner climber, maybe the nutrition isn't, you know, the most important thing. They need to learn to climb. But as you dial in, you know, the many facets of climbing, the technique and the mental game and the the fitness aspects, then you should also be trying to dial in the nutritional aspects. And, you know, that's one of the things that compelled me um, five or six years ago to form a new company called Fizzy Vantage, and it's a climbing specific nutrition company. Um, I spent about two years kind of doing the research and developing climbing specific nutritional products. And the company we launched about three and a half years ago, and it's really taken off here in North America. It's it's very exciting to see the growth and the uh, use and acceptance. and of the products you know people find them valuable and we just launched in europe uh, this past january so that's exciting to to be bringing the products to uh, european climbers and um you know so again it's another way that i can have an impact that's kind of the goal and everything i'm doing right now is to help people climb better reduce injury risk um and if you're climbing better and not getting injured then you're having fun and it's making (laughs) your life it's making your life better and so you know that's kind of the I guess the ultimate goal of what I do and what fizzy vantage nutrition is all about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, you you, you want to have a smile on your face uh, when you're doing that, not a, a grudge because your, your arm hurts or something like that. And it sounds yeah, like I mean, a lot. Nothing,
0: yeah. There's, there's nothing more um, frustrating for an athlete in any sport to be out of the game because of injury, you yeah. know, whether it's playing football or you know being a runner or a swimmer or, You know, or a climber. You know, if you if you can't do your sport, the thing that you love that makes you feel alive, that's a terrible thing. And so, you know, yes, injuries. You know, they are not 100% preventable. But uh, if you're training appropriately, taking you know enough rest days, and eating right, and you know getting good night's sleep, uh, you know, then you reduce the injury risk, and uh, you'll have fewer of those off days or, you know, days that you can't actually, you know, do your sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah. kind of, kind of figure out the the appropriate way to kind of pace yourself. And so, so to that kind of the the coaching aspect of it, as you just mentioned, I know you, you kind of explained a lot of the different aspects of it, but you know, what, I guess, what would that look like, I guess, or or what does that, I'm sure obviously varies from, you know, client to client or whatnot, but you know, what, what does that program look like? I mean, is it kind of, kind of the, 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 kind of the slow steps, as you mentioned, you know, if they're a beginner climber, obviously working on getting their techniques and that kind of stuff, and then transitioning into, uh, you know, the nutritional aspect of it and everything, I mean, is it, is it really just kind of taking a, a good look at whoever that person is that, that you're helping and then trying to figure out the best plan for them? Or is it sort of, um, you know, something that can sort of be applied to everybody?
0: Yeah, I mean, both, both, Uh, you know, first of all, as a, as kind of a blueprint for training for climbing, a very simplified blueprint. Uh, First and foremost is, is developing the skills. You know, it's like um, learning to ski or play golf or, you know, name a a skill sport where like the first day you try to go skiing, you can't hardly stand on your skis. Uh, Or the first day you try to swing a golf club, you can't hit the ball straight at all. Uh, You have to learn, the basic techniques, and then you get good really fast, at least initially. And so climbing is the same way. And so for someone new to the sport, I tell them don't, you know, don't go down some rabbit hole of, you know, crazy training or weightlifting or anything like that. Go climbing. And so going to a climbing gym or going outdoor climbing or doing a combination of both would be best two to four days a week. Uh, Two days, at least, you know, because to learn skills, you got to do something regularly. You can't just do it once a month. And so two days a week, I kind of say as a minimum, up to four days a week. If you do it more than four days a week early on, then you're at risk of just stressing your tendons and ligaments and muscles too much early on. and so, you know, three days is a good target for most people, you know, getting to the climbing gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or climbing at the gym on Tuesday and Thursday and then climbing outdoors if you have access to clips in your location, one of the days of the weekend and so there you can cobble together three days of climbing where every day you are learning new skills, learning how to move more efficiently, you're learning how to challenge your fears and control your arousal I mean there's a lot of mental aspects that you have to develop along with the uh, You know technical aspects uh and of course if you're climbing you're also working your muscles you know you're loading your tendons you're pulling with your fingers and so you're actually getting that physical training just through climbing and so there is no need that first year or two to get on a crazy program where you're doing hundreds of pull-ups or doing fingertip pull-ups or fingerboard hangs or campus you don't want to do that stuff early on it'll actually slow your growth as a climber you need to learn to climb now, after a couple of years, you have that rapid you know, uh, learning curve that you ascend. Uh, oftentimes people reach a plateau after two or three years. And that is when it does help to introduce some climbing specific training where you are doing some targeted exercise to develop more uh, specific you know, pulling strength and finger strength and flexibility. And you know, while you can dabble in some of that stuff before you know, two or three years in, You need to get on a more focused program when you, you know, two, three, four years in the sport. And that's often when people pick up a copy of my book, Training for Climbing, you know, and they say, I'm going to learn some of these training protocols and how I can kind of build that into my program. So where they may still be going to the gym two or three days a week, but in addition to that, maybe at home, they have a pull up bar or a fingerboard, they're doing a little bit of additional training, or maybe at the climbing gym at the end of their climbing session, they do a few exercises Supplemental exercises, and again, it's beyond the scope of this podcast to try to you know blueprint out a a complete program um, because it is kind of complex and it does have to be somewhat personalized. Uh, And that's where engaging a coach who can you know kind of do some testing and you know some objective testing, but also subjectively assess your movement and and skills on the rock uh, and prepare for you a personalized program that says, okay, you need to do some technique drills to improve your footwork. And you need to do some visualization to improve your ability to read routes, and you know uh, be able to move more quickly and decisively when you're on the climbs. And you need to develop a little more flexibility so that you can step higher and get your hips to turn out and conserve energy. And you need to develop a little bit more finger endurance. Uh, you know, to develop that type of a specific program, you need to collect some data from the individual, and that's where you know working with a coach in person is very, very helpful. And I don't do much of that anymore because, you know, my time is so limited with running Fizzy Vantage and, you know, my other obligations and needs to travel and my family. Uh, You know, in past years, I did quite a bit of that type of coaching. And today I take on just a handful of special cases, uh, you know, every year because I I think I can contribute to people and be impactful in, in better ways. And there's, a growing number of coaches who do a fine job around the country. Uh, you know, a lot of the big city gyms have a coach on staff that has, um, you know, uh, a good skill set, you know, has been trained or, you know, been involved in climbing and training for climbing long enough to, to do a pretty good job. So, you know, again, I encourage listeners to engage a coach, um, you know, early on to learn, you know, the basics of, you know, climbing movement and also the basics of climbing safety, but then farther down the road to develop a personalized training program that will uh, get them you know to continue to improve for many years to come and you know what you can't do is just be a glutton for punishment, like you know, occasionally I'll run into climbers and you know they share with me their frustration you know, they're training hard and they're not improving. And then when I dig a little bit and ask them what they're doing for training, they're like, well, I signed up for this CrossFit program and I'm doing CrossFit three days a week. And, you know, we throw all these weights around and, and I'm like, yeah, I bet that really tires you out. And they're like, yeah, it's a great (laughs) workout. And I'm like, well, it's a great workout for CrossFit, but it's a terrible workout for climbing, you know? And, you know, same thing. If somebody tells me they're running a hundred miles a week, I'm like, okay, that's, Maybe a good program if you're training for a marathon, but it's a terrible program if you're training for climbing. You know, running five miles two or three days a week would be helpful, you know, for a few reasons with climbing, but running 100 miles a week, no, that's uh, misplaced time and energy. Uh, And so you just can't, just because an exercise or activity creates fatigue and feels like a good workout doesn't mean that it's a good climbing workout that's going to help your climbing. And so, uh, you know, again, Uh, a really effective and advanced training for climbing program, as I designed for climbers that are elite, have many facets to them, but they're very specific to reaching, uh, you know, desired goals and meeting, you know, to, um, uh, you know, overcome limiting constraints that we identify in that advanced or elite level climber. And, you know, so we target those constraints with training and, uh, but again, everybody's constraints are a little bit different. Uh, And so, uh, you know, again, that's where either you need to learn to be a very uh, self-aware self-coach or engage a a veteran coach who has, you know, kind of a proven track record of helping climbers uh, achieve the higher grades and uh, you know help you design what is an appropriate program for you so
1: yeah and that may and you brought up a, a, a bunch of different aspects of course you know the you know there's obviously the physical but then flex being flexible you know seeing the route the right way being decisive everything like that and it sounds like you know, as far as training goes, you know, be very intentional. You know, I think that was, you know, a great, uh, analogy there. Well, I, I want to be a better rock climber. I'm going to go in this, uh, this CrossFit and start throwing some tires around to your point. That's great for that, but not for this. Um, yeah, correct. And, and, and it sounds like you're, you're kind of, um, uh, the book you mentioned sort of is a, is a good kind of blueprint, I guess, of somebody that's looking to start in that direction to kind of get an idea of what that was. And then obviously, you know, as you mentioned, find a find a coach to kind of help them get to that next level but
0: that's right and i and i state that in in all of my books you know that i am you know giving you i'm informing you of you know kind of a philosophy for becoming a better climber you know that training for climbing book isn't just about physical fitness training there's a whole chapter of mental training and a whole chapter on technique training and a chapter on nutrition and a chapter on injury prevent, prevention and treatment. Um, and there's, you know, three or four chapters that are hardcore training of different types. Uh, you know, so it's a very comprehensive book because an appropriate program for climbing needs to have, you know, many facets to it that are, again, uh, designed and implemented in ways that can um, enhance climbing performance Uh, But the book has its limitations. You know, it has some self-assessments. It has some uh, program templates that readers can use as uh, starting points or blueprints. But I I clearly state, you know, this is a starting point for you and you need to either through yourself uh, suss out how it needs to progress over time or engage a coach to help you uh, take it to the next level. But the the book is, you know, training for climbing uh, now in its third edition. It, it, it does provide a science-based foundation for you building your own training program, but it's not the end all on the topic. That is for sure. You know, it, it has its limitations and I make no bones about that. Uh, so,
1: yeah, uh, but a, a good, a good starting point, nonetheless, kind of, as you mentioned, so, so kind of with all your, your experience, you know, either personal or work, working with others or, you know, maybe even with your family or whatever, do you, is there like a favorite kind of story that kind of stands out to you as far as a fa- favorite, you know, climbing story, or, you know, maybe a success story or just a, just a memory, just kind of out of, you know, everything that, that, that climbing means to you.
0: Well, wow, that's tough. I uh, I have so <laughs> many, yeah, I have so many climbing memories Uh, You know, climbing my first 511 when I was like a 16 year old at the Schwangunks in New York, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, putting up the first 513, uh, a route called Diamond Life uh, that I established in West Virginia in 1987, Um, or, you know, going climbing with my wife and kids, which I've done, uh, thankfully, my wife and kids enjoy climbing and my kids are actually not kids anymore, they're 19 and 21, but uh, they're two of the best climbers of their generation, uh, and they still have a lot of room to improve if they continue with the sport. Uh, and, you know, so I have a lot of fun memories there. And uh, I don't know, I guess something recent, if, if I want to be specific, uh, you know, for many years, I, uh, especially with the family, We would go climbing and you know i put the kind of the family goals and the kids climbing goals ahead of mine and so there was really like a 10 or 15 year stretch where i would go climbing as a family but i would spend a lot of time belaying my kids on climbs that were right for them because i wanted the the climbing days and the travel days to the cliffs to be about you know them learning to climb and having a great experience and not just watching dad climb Uh, and so i really had to support subordinate my goals for their goals uh, and you know just be a good dad and a good coach in that way Uh, and so there was a long stretch of years while i was climbing and having a blast climbing with my kids i didn't really have any projects that i was pursuing or i I didn't really have the time or focus to push myself on on a really empowering goal. Well, two years ago, as my kids went off to college, uh, you know, my wife and I became empty nesters. We started to do some climbing trips alone for the first time in, you know, 15 years. And I took the opportunity to, to start to work, um, on some project climbs, something that was over my head just to see what the old guy was, you know, old dad was capable of doing. Uh, and, you know, I. Oh, this is a year and a half ago now, so it's not super recent. But uh, I did a climb at the Red River Gorge called Angry Birds, which is a five thirteen C route. Which again, in the grand grand scheme of things, today isn't super hard, but it's a pretty hard route, uh, and especially for somebody in their fifties to do. And so I I showed through focus and kind of you know having you know setting a goal and you know trying to you know see what I could do. Uh, After all these years, I did a pretty hard climb. Uh, And so it kind of, in my mind, opened up the possibility of, you know, 513D or 514A, perhaps being attainable goals at age 60, let's say. Uh, And, uh, you know, so that chapter has not been written yet. But as long as I stay healthy and motivated and uh, can uh, train and um, you know, and you know, find the right route to project, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity. So that's uh, kind of what I'm setting my eyes on for my own personal performance right now.
1: That's awesome. Well, I'm sure, I mean, you clearly have the motivation now, so I'm sure you'll, you'll get that done. And it's cool that that you were able to kind of, or, or you know, over the years, you know, it, it was a, it was a family experience, you know, nonetheless with, with everything, which is I'm, I'm sure special, some special memories as well to kind of keep everybody involved in that sense. So, um,
0: Yeah. And and by the way, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade anything for that time uh, climbing as a family. Those are memories and experiences that few families get to have. And, you know, like, you know, a couple of summers, we went west and uh, we climbed Devil's Tower as a family when my kids were quite small. I think my young son, Jonathan, was seven or eight years old when he stood atop when he stood atop Devil's Tower for the first time. I think he might have been the youngest person to climb devil's tower at that time. Uh, And, you know, and so what a wonderful family adventure, you know, to go to Wyoming and climb this 800 foot devil's tower together. Uh, And uh, you know, we've done some trips to Europe and, you know, traveled throughout the West. Uh, My kids joke, they haven't been to to Disneyland yet, (laughs) but that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of, uh, you know, family trip we, we, wanted to do you know we wanted to you know do adventure sports and so uh you know that hasn't happened yet <laughs> and i guess won't happen since uh, my kids are now grown up but maybe they'll take their kids to disneyland you know uh, but uh but you know i so they they wouldn't trade uh it and i wouldn't trade those experiences for climbing 515 i would not
1: that's awesome. And kind of having that that special, like you said, bonding experience. And I'd, I'd much rather have those experiences. I've never been to Disney myself either, but uh, I'd much rather have those other experiences than go to Disney. So <laughs> I'm sure they appreciate yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so so one thing I always kind of like to ask our, our guest is is one piece of advice for our, for our listeners. Um, and honestly, we kind of covered a, a variety of topics um, with this. Uh, and, and, and kind of one thing that that kept uh, popping up as is, is you mentioned which I think is important as well is is kind of the um, the the disconnecting with with the electronics and that kind of stuff to to get outdoors whether that's rock climbing or hiking or running or, or whatever that may be um, so 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 to to that I, I guess is kind of maybe an off the wall question but what would your advice be to to one get into, something like that but then also kind of you know let to and, and then you know get into rock climbing or or some outdoor physical activity and then kind of let it switch where the electronics don't consume you and you're you're more after the the buzz and the high that comes from you know from doing whatever that activity is rather than what the next uh comment is on Instagram if that that makes sense i know it's kind of a weird question but it kept coming up so
0: yeah yeah well yeah i i mean um, I guess being a little philosophical here or kind of widening out uh, to a broader perspective than just sports or activities, I really encourage people that ask me or I talk to, or you know, my own kids uh, to think big with their life and try to find your own path, your own journey. Um, I think today more than ever, there, you know, people are, you know, without knowing it, becoming sheep, uh, you know, part of a herd, uh, doing what they see other people their age doing, their peers doing, um, you know, again, on social media, kind of being in a competition uh, to, you know, do what the other people are doing or try to surpass them. And, you know, All of that stuff is pretty shallow, whereas if you just, you know, can disengage from that largely, or at least control um, your exposure to that, uh, and think outside the box and think big and try to, you know, you you have just one life. And so why not try to find your own unique journey rather than trying to follow, you know, this um, common path of your peers. uh, And, you know, I think for everybody, they can maybe interpret this a little differently. You know, it could be with regard to their career or or their relationships or their sporting activities or how they spend their free time, but find what really is, uh, you know, engaging to you and meaningful to you uh, and what, uh, you know, um, you know, and spend more time doing that Rather than again, the path of least resistance is just to kind of be this robot that sits in front of a laptop or stares at a phone hours and hours a day, and not achieving anything significant out of that. Uh, you know, and I think because of the way it is addictive, it can you know, yeah, you, know, you hear about people that are addicted to gaming uh, or you know addicted to watching Netflix. Uh, and again, nothing wrong with these things in small doses if you can control the small doses. But if they take over your life and consume 10, 20, 30, 40 hours a week, which I think is common from what I've read uh, these days, it's a terrible thing. Uh, and the electronics suddenly become your kryptonite and prevent you from being uh, becoming successful in something, uh, you know, great and. You know, so that's a message I I try to spread and, you know, it takes, you know, you really need to live intentionally to avoid those traps because, you know, the electronics are designed to be addictive. I mean, Zuckerberg designed Facebook and Instagram has been designed, you know, to be engaging and addictive and it knows what you want. So it serves you up more of that. Uh, And so you are just become a slave of this Pavlovian response of your phone dinging and drawing your attention in, and then you're getting sucked in for a minute that turns into an hour. Uh, And then that happens several times throughout the day. And all of a sudden, you haven't done anything physical. You haven't done anything meaningful in your career or, you know, had um, spent meaningful time looking into the eyes of another person or going for a walk or you know hanging out with friends and going bouldering or you know doing social activities with human beings rather than just being electronically connected to people and um you know so uh i i think you can end up wasting a life potentially if you fall into that trap
1: yeah no i i love i love that advice and and echo it as well i mean i think that's 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 great you know try to you know go out there and experience and experience it yourself with the the human connection there and you know not just online as you mentioned um so so to that point where can people find you on, this is now this is ironic i know where can people find you online yeah. though uh it, for those small doses uh to kind of right. you know see what you're on um obviously the book um Fez advantage all those kind of different things where where yeah. can they learn more about that
0: yeah well, you know, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with the electronics and, you know, they are a wonderful tool when you can tap into knowledge uh, through the internet. I mean, I have, I can, you know, we can get access to just about any research that's been published is available for free off the internet uh, on, a, you know, any topic under the sun, you can tap into that information or expertise, uh, you know, experts in a variety of fields, you know, through YouTube videos and educational courses uh, and get bits of inspiration from people that we see on Instagram that we follow. Uh, and so in small doses, uh, you know, these, you know, the electronics can be very helpful, you know, very useful tools. Uh, but again, when you get sucked in and just mindlessly consume, uh, you know, the electronics, you know, it's, you um, you know, it's, it's it 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 essentially is just a drug at that point, and so. But in any case, if you want that small dose of Eric Hurst or training for climbing, uh, my website is trainingforclimbing.com. Uh, I have an Instagram, which is training the number four climbing, uh, and I have a personal Instagram Eric underscore Hurst, spelled H O R S T, and uh, my nutrition company. Anybody interested in performance nutrition, uh, it's climbing specific. But it's also just very high quality nutrition that will benefit any athlete in any sport, really. Uh, uh fizzyvantage is spelled P-H-Y-S-I-V-A-N-T-A-G-E.com. So it's like physical advantage combined into physivantage. Uh and uh, you know, we make high quality uh proteins, both whey protein and plant protein. We have, I believe, the best collagen formula for athletes, it's called Supercharged Collagen, and it's research-based to support collagen synthesis in the tendons and ligaments that you are stressing to help them remodel and get stronger and hopefully become more resistant to injury or help you recover and get back into the game after injury, you know, to kind of aid that rehab uh, process. Uh, and then we you know, we make a pre-workout called Endurex that is an aerobic system primer to improve your circulation and the oxidative kinetics, the mitochondria function uh, that help uh, give you power endurance and help you persevere and recover between bouts of intense exercise and a variety of other supplements as well. Uh, it's been really fun to start up this company over the last five years and to see it take hold uh, and um. You know, if anybody wants to check out FizzyVantage.com, they could use a checkout code PODCAST15. So just spell out uh, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-E, C-A-S-T-1-5, PODCAST15. And that'll get you a 15% discount off any full-priced nutrition on the website. And so, um, you know, check it out uh, and uh, learn about the product line and uh, you know, we have some research and science articles there and a variety of training articles and also some inspirational content about the professional climbers that use Fizzy Vantage products uh, that you know inspire me to, to really grow this company because they find value uh, and uh, I know the recreational climbers do as well.
1: Awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure you um, check that out. Uh, use, use the code as well. That's awesome to drop that as well. So I'm sure people will appreciate that. Um, but I, I really appreciate you spending you know, your time to kind of explain your story, kind of the journey of, of all the different facets of uh, your, your climbing story, I should say, um, and, and how you're you know, constantly working to improve that community, um, obviously very passionately. So with that, I, I appreciate that. And I uh, wish you the best of luck uh, for the, the rest of the, the year and, and uh, many more past that.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. I uh, enjoyed this discussion.
1: Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.